Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson is a social psychologist who researches, writes, and speaks about the science of motivation. She is the associate director of the Motivation Center at Columbia Business School and author of the best selling books, Succeed. And she's also the co-author of her latest book, Focus, Use Different Ways of Seeing the World to Power, Success, and Influence. The last time Heidi was here, we discussed motivation and influence in ourselves and our careers. And from that interview, we wanted to have the spinoff conversation about how we can apply her research for parenting, motivating and influencing our own children. So Heidi, hello and welcome back. Hi, great to be back. So I love that how you you can have this research and, you know, in the professional setting of our lives, but we can also apply it to our children, which, you know, our home frustrations can kind of uh, spill over into our workplace, can't they? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, what's interesting to me is I actually started out doing really the majority of my research for, for a decade in classrooms. And, and I was really interested in, in, in motivation in children and, and really in particular sort of trying to understand why it was that, that some children seemed to respond to difficulty and challenge with, with resilience. I mean, and, you know, nobody's happy when they don't do well, but why, do, why were some kids able to sort of dig deep and, and, and do well and others uh, were, had more of a, a tendency to become helpless and, and to feel disengaged when, when things don't come to them easily? And, and it's one of these things that has absolutely nothing to do with intelligence or, or ability in any, in any measurable sense. It's really a, a psychological thing. It's how kids think about challenge and difficulty and how they're motivated, how they tick. So I started out actually trying to figure out that stuff. And when I started writing about motivation, I assumed that the that the major audience for, for the work I was doing would be educators and parents. And, um, and then it just turned out that a lot of business people were actually interested <laughs> in some of these same issues. And, uh, and so, so that was very interesting for me um, to, to, to speak to that, that audience. But it's always really been the, the, the kids and the parents and the teachers that I've been most interested in talking to because I think in many ways um, they're the group that, that really is so desperately looking for, for good solutions. And, um, and, you know, and we care so much about our kids and, and so, so to the extent that we can apply the science to try to find ways of being, as you say, more helping them to be more motivated, influencing them to make good choices, um, then that's very exciting for me. Well, and because, you know, um, I, I'm a parent and then in me addition yeah, to doing, you know, all that I do professionally, one of the things that I do um, in, in the evenings is that I work with youth and I coach mm-hmm. swimming. So, you know, motivating kids, I like, I think is it's, and then you're dealing with parents who are very highly successful and mm-hmm. there's that, there's that contrast where they're watching their kids and saying, why aren't they motivated? Why don't they want this? I would have loved to have had this when I was right. a child. Right. And we, and we, we always say stuff like that. And, then, <laughs> and part of that comes from, 
you know, one of the things I know we're going to talk about today, which is that, that the, the sort of the, the flavor of motivation that we have as adults, the way we're motivated is often different than the way that, that children are motivated primarily. And, and, and it, it, it's easy to forget that. And, and we really don't realize it. But what seems like it makes so much sense to us now, what seems like it should be so motivating now, really doesn't fit well, uh, provide what we call a good motivational fit for for kids. Um, and, and it's not just a matter of sort of the, you know, using simple language. In fact, it's not that at all. It's really using different language to talk to, to people who are differently motivated, whether they're adults or children. That turns out to be really the key. So I know we talked about this in the last interview, but for those that are coming on this interview for the first time, can you talk about those different flavors of motivation? Sure, sure. So we, we know we know that there are really, um, and this is research now, um, that that I've done with um, Tori Higgins, who's the director of the Motivation Center at, at Columbia Business School, and he's really the person who about 25, 30 years ago had this aha moment that said, you know, wait a minute, there's really these two different ways of, of, of that anyone can approach a goal, something that they, they want to achieve. Um, and now there's been really thousands and thousands of studies all over the world that, that have looked into the, these two kinds of motivation. We, we call them promotion focus and prevention focus. So when you're promotion focused and you're, you're pursuing a goal or something you want, you think about that goal as a way of ending up better off. Right, as a way of advancing. So if I get this promotion, if I get this job, um, if I get an A in this class, if I, if I am able to sell this book, um, then, then it's something that's going to leave me in better off than I am now. It's going to help me to advance. It's something sort of I, I ideally would like to achieve. And, and when I achieve it, I'm going to feel excited. Right? I'm going to feel joyful. Uh, and, and if I don't achieve it, then I'm going to feel sort of depressed and sad. Uh, when people are promotion-focused and they think about their goals as opportunities to advance, to make progress, to end up better off, uh, they think about their goals as ideals, then, then certain things become true. They, they are motivated by optimism. So, so when they feel optimistic, they, they, that, that really fuels their motivation. It really is important. It's really essential for them to feel that sense of, I can do this and it's all going to be great. And that really kind of gets their juices flowing. We call that kind of motivation like eagerness, right? You feel really eager to get up and do it. We also know that they tend to have certain strengths when we're promotion-focused. Uh, so promotion-focused people or when people are promotion-focused, they tend to be more creative creative, more innovative, more uh, comfortable with taking risks. They sort of, you know, think outside the box. They come up with lots of solutions. They like to try new things. Um, they work quickly, uh, and, and they tend to have that sort of that sort of sunny outlook, right, that we that everybody talks about that is so great, that sort of, it's, you know, that, that tremendous positivity. But there's another way to think about our goals uh, that just results, and it's not better or worse, it's just very different, and we call that prevention focus. When you are prevention focused about getting a job or getting an A in a class or selling your book or whatever it is, you're thinking about achieving that goal as a way to avoid bad things happening, right? To hang on to what you already have got. So if I get a job, then, then, then having that job protects all the things I already have, right? The, it'll give me a sense of security and stability and help me hang on to my home and take care of my children and 
fulfill my responsibilities and duties. If I get an A in a class, it means that I stay safe, right? I don't get in trouble. I don't end up closing doors to myself that, that I might have closed if I got a worse grade in the class. So, so when we're prevention-focused, we're really thinking not so much about our goals as ways to advance or end up better off, but as ways to kind of keep things running smoothly and hang on to what we've already achieved. It's, it's about avoiding loss rather than, than gain. And it can be the exact same goal, as I said. I mean, there are, I have, as a professor, I've seen lots and lots of kids come into my class. And for some of them, getting an A is, it is something they ideally want, and they feel really excited when they get it. For other kids, it's really something they feel they ought to be able to do. Uh, it's a duty or an obligation to get an A. And when they get the A, they don't feel excited. They feel relieved. They feel calm and, and relaxed, like, whew, all right, I got the A. And so their emotions are different. Instead of joy, they feel relief. Instead of sadness or depression, when they don't succeed, they feel anxiety and fear. They have a different set of strengths. So instead of being risk takers and creative thinkers, they tend to be more conservative, but they're very analytical. Uh, they're very disciplined. They're very organized, thorough. Um, they're not speedy necessarily because speed leads to mistakes and that's not a good thing if you're prevention focused but they are very accurate in what they do um, they're the people you can always count on you know it, often in, in, in an organization for example it's the promotion focused people who are really the risk takers and super creative that get all the accolades but the reality is if you have a really strongly prevention focused person working and they leave then everybody suddenly notices that absence because that was the person that kept everything going. They kept running everything running smoothly. They crossed the T's and dotted the I's. And, and, and the only time you really get appreciated if you're prevention-focused is when you kind of come into a situation right after that not having a prevention-focused person on board and everything's kind of gone to hell in a handcart and then you fix it and everyone's like, wow, thank God Bob's here to fix everything. He's so thorough and, and, and responsible. So it's a, it's a very... Like I said, there are two different ways of being motivated. The reality is that we all do some of both. There are times when each of us is promotion-focused and, and times when each of us is prevention-focused. Um, that being said, most people do tend to have a dominant focus, so they tend to be either more promotion or more prevention. Um, it can sometimes be the case that there is a part of your life where you're very promotion-focused and a part where you're very prevention. So for myself, for example, I tend to be very promotion-focused about my work, The very, very very prevention focused as a wife and mother. I'm, I'm, I mean, I would, you know, if it were up to me, my kids would wear helmets all the time and, you know, we would never go anywhere. And the only reason we ever take a vacation is because my husband drags us there because he's promotion focused. And I'm, you know, the, the one who's making sure we have passports and unclean underwear and all that stuff. So, so it's, it's in different areas of your life, you can have a different focus. And the other thing that's true and that's relevant for what, you know, we're talking about today is that in general, and this isn't true across the board, but in general, people tend to become, start out a bit more promotion-focused as children and end up a bit more prevention-focused as adults. So we do see a shift um, over the lifespan. Again, not for everyone. Also, women tend to be a little more prevention-focused than men, but not everyone. Um, so, so there do seem to be some, some trends that life experiences kind of shift our, our motivation and shift our thinking a bit. And why is it that we start out in general more promotion focused mm. than prevention? Well, I think it has a lot to do with 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 the fact that that for children, sort of, you know, you have your whole. There are several things that are true. So, so children um, don't have a lot of responsibilities in general. 
um, and 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 response having responsibilities, having things you sort of have to do, you feel that you ought to do. That's something that tends to make us more prevention focused. Um, so kids don't have a lot of that. Most of the time, they think they're thinking about the things they do as ways to advance, as things they would ideally like to do, as opportunities to have good things happen. Uh, and, and because they haven't had a lot of life experience yet relative to an adult, they, 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 they don't tend to think so much about how important it is to avoid bad things happening. Uh, so, so it's really, I think, in our, in our, the state that we're born into, you know, you, there's nowhere to go but up. And that's what we think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you, know, you, you know, young people think that they're immortal and that that also kind of is a very promotion-focused way to be. It's why it's so difficult, for example, to get relatively young people, and by that I mean people in their 20s, um, to want to buy health insurance because health insurance, insurance is a very prevention-focused product, right? It's, it's about making sure that you don't lose everything if something goes wrong. But young people don't think about what could go wrong as much as older people do. And so for them, that just isn't a good fit for them. They're, they're much more interested in being told about things that could help them to advance and end up better off. You also see it, interestingly, in, um, in, in, in when, when people, when we look at what predicts um, how attracted people are to a particular job or, or what kind of benefits they're looking for. Younger people across the board seem to be much more interested in a jo- having a job that has up, you know, upward mobility, advancement possibilities, training and learning. Um, older people tend to be much more interested in knowing that there's like a really healthy 401k and a lot of job security and, uh, and you know, sick leave and things like that. So, so even the things that we are looking for as benefits can vary as a function of our, our focus. And, and so, again, the, the children tend to be, again, with their kind of eyes on thinking of how they might end up better off and how things they're kind of looking for, um, very sensitive to positives as we get older and as we have more responsibilities and more negative experiences, um, we become more in tuned to, uh, to the possibility that things might go wrong and then to trying to prevent that from happening. I know a lot of women, for example felt a very distinct shift when they became mothers. Um, and I myself was like this. I think I was a much more overall just sort of promotion-focused person until I was a mom. And then suddenly the world seemed to be filled with dangers. <laughs> and, and that's what I spent a lot of my time thinking about. So, so I, it shifted me into being a much more prevention-focused person. And again, I know, I just want to say this, I know we talked about this last time, that for people listening, it sounds like promotion is the better one. I mean, everybody <laughs> says, you know, they say, well, you say that they're both good, but you don't really mean that. And I know I really mean that. And and it's very cultural. So, you know, the United States is a very, is probably the most promotion-focused culture on the planet. We, you know, the American dream is the, is the, is the dream of the person who lifts themselves up by their bootstraps and, and, you know, goes from, from rags to riches. And it's a very much a, you know, a, we reward, our stories are all about these risk takers and pioneers, but there are many cultures in the world where actually being the one who, who is responsible, who cares for the family, who, who does their duty, who creates harmony in the society, that those are the people who are the heroes. And so there are more or less prevention-focused and promotion-focused societies. And America is just so promotion-focused that, that really when I talk about prevention, people say, well, yeah, okay, being organized is 
is good, but I mean, it's not as great as being creative. The reality is that, that without one, the other one doesn't get very far. And all organizations need both of those qualities. And, and people, in fact, can, I think, suffer a little bit when their, their personality is so tilted toward one or the other. If you don't have some balance, then you, you can kind of get into hot water. If you're so prevention-focused, you, you never have any fun. You never have any feeling experience of growth. If you're so promotion-focused, then the bills don't get paid and, and you know, the practical things in your life don't get taken care of. And, and so there, there really is, a I think, there's a lot that's desirable about both, but we're just not used to thinking about prevention focus as being as desirable as it really is. Well, and I think the important thing, you know, we're in the height of football season right now, you can have an amazing quarterback, but if you don't have the defensive line to protect the quarterback, it doesn't really matter. That's right. That is, that's exactly right. And, you know, offense might seem a little, a little bit flashier, um, but a good defense, yes. Anybody in sports would know mm-hmm. that, that the good defense is just as important as a good offense. And, and that is exactly what prevention-focused people are, are doing. They're playing a really strong defense, and they, and they think they're not optimists by nature and there's a reason for that it doesn't actually work for them uh the 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 being over being optimistic to a prevention focused person feels naive and and foolish and is actually demotivating what what prevention focused people do instead is they don't think they're not pessimists either so this is where it gets a little tricky because pessimists believe that they can't succeed and that's not good for anybody i mean no nobody is better off being a pessimist what what prevention-focused people are are sort of what we call defensive pessimists. They don't believe they're going to succeed, to fail, but they believe they might fail if they don't take all the steps they need to take in order to keep failure from happening. So what prevention-focused people tend to do is think through everything that could go wrong and then take the steps to make sure that that doesn't happen. So they end up being just as successful as promotion-focused people, but they get to that success a different way with different strengths and different weaknesses. Well, it sounds like with prevention-focused people, they, they're, they're taking personal responsibility, right? Very much so, in, yeah. Instead of saying, oh, I'm a victim to the world, they're going to take personal responsibility in case the worst-case scenario happens. Mm-hmm. And- oh, yeah, they're not interested in being victims. because They want to know. It's another, this is another interesting thing that, that we find um, when we look at the, with people who have these dominant focuses. Promotion-focused people do not like to dwell on their mistakes. They want to they wanna just keep their eyes moving forward. The downside, of course, to that is that they, don't, they have a harder time learning from their mistakes because they don't want to dwell on them. Prevention-focused people dwell like crazy on their mistakes, but it's not dwelling for the sake of being miserable or feeling like a victim. They're really looking for, what can I learn from this so that this never happens again? So, so there is something that's very adaptive. I mean, even that. Yes, argue. You can make the argument that prevention focus is less fun, <laughs> and, and that you know it is. But, but, but it is really effective. And, and again, like I said, the, the upside to being prevention focused is not is a feeling of peace and and tranquility and relaxation. And every mother I know, if you ask her, you know, what it is you're looking for, she would say like, oh, I just want like 10 minutes in a bathtub by myself. We just want to, <laughs> you know, we just want to feel some relaxation and some. So that's that that's that prevention focus kind of coming out and saying what I'm really after is not so much excitement and 
roller coaster rides. What I'm really after is tranquility and rest and knowing that everything's taken care of and everything is good. And that, and so that's a, that, you know, I, I wrote a piece for the Atlantic not too long ago about the changing meaning of happiness that sort of when we get older, uh, you know, I, that, that a Saturday night in my life now where that is spent, you know, sitting in pajama pants with my kids and I'm reading a, an old book. I'm not even reading a new book. I'm reading a rereading an old book. And that's like a great Saturday night for me. And, and, you know, 20 years ago, I would have been horrified to know that that was the Saturday night that was waiting for me 20 <laughs> years in the future. But it's, but it is, it is a, it, what it means to be happy changes. And it is, you can kind of think of it in these promotion and prevention terms. There, our sense of happiness as a kid and even as a young adult, is very promotion focused. It's about excitement and 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 uh, and energy and joy. And and as we get older, our sense of what it means to be happy kind of starts to feel more like peace and relaxation and 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 a sense of satisfaction and calm. Um, and it's not worse. It's just different. And I wouldn't give up my peaceful ten minute bath for any kind of exciting roller coaster ride. So it's. <laughs> It just, I think it's a, I think it, but the language of promotion and prevention can help us to put a name on this thing that I think a lot of us experience as parents and also give us a way to understand that our kids are, are seeing things usually, not always. You may have a, you know, someone listening may have a very prevention focused child. That definitely happens. Um, and, and so that's interesting because, because, you you may find that the things that you're you know why isn't my kid acting like a typical kid you know who's who's real excited and 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 optimistic well you may have a prevention focused child and that means you need to to talk to them a little bit differently and try to engage them motivationally with that focus in mind well and so that brings me to the question cuz like when you were talking about promotion right where mm-hmm. and and I think about my teenager who doesn't want to dwell on, on her mistakes right? right and she's very promotion focused and how do I communicate with my teenager about, okay, we're not, we don't need to dwell on it. We don't need to make it mean that you're a bad person, right? Because she's not. But what yeah. can we learn from it? So how do we bridge that communication gap when she's like, mom, it's fine. I'm not going to yeah. dwell on it. And I'm like, but no, we need to learn about, you know, what can we learn from this? And she's like, mom, it's fine. And she rolls her eyes at me. You know, it's a, it's a great question. And the, the good news is that it, it turns out from the research we've done that really actually varies subtle shifts in language can can make a big impact. Um, so just the difference between between saying we need to to look at what went wrong so that that never happens again, right? So that we can keep that mistake from happening again. That's a that's a very prevention focused way to talk about what you're doing when you're kind of going over a, a mistake that was made or a problem. But you could actually just flip it around and say, you know, we need to look at what happened so that you can do even better in the future and you can actually gain as much as possible from this experience. Little shifts like that, now that's a very promotion-focused way of talking about it. So, so in general, the rule of thumb is when you're talking promotion language, you talk about how doing X allows you to gain something. Doing X allows you to be better off. Um, when you're talking prevention, you talk about how doing X keeps, helps you to avoid a problem or how not doing X would result in a problem. If you don't do X, then you're going to really end up being in trouble. Okay? So uh, we can often switch these things. So, for example, um, with incentives, right? So you can imagine a teacher saying to their, their class, 
everybody who, uh, if you don't turn in your homework this week, you don't get to go on the school trip. Okay? So that's a very prevention-focused way to describe that situation. Right? If you don't do your homework, you don't get to go on the school trip. A promotion way to describe it would be everybody gets, everybody gets to go on the school trip who does all their homework this week. Right? So now doing homework is a way to get something good right? Instead of not doing homework being ending up being something bad, which is th- that language just doesn't, does, and, we, and we have lots of studies on this. They're really interesting. You would think little shifts in language like that wouldn't matter because you're saying the same thing, right? But you're really not motivationally. And there's a level that's really uh, not at all conscious that people engage or, or disengage in, in language, that it kind of, what we, what we know is that when, when you use language in a way that fits someone's motivation, it, it sounds more fluent to them. Um, they, they, they think about it more deeply. And in it's, the, the, the expression that we've come up with to kind of capture this, when we, when, we, when we go into the laboratory and we say, when you hear this, you know, how does it make you feel? And what people tell us, interestingly, is that it feels right. Now, feeling right is not the same thing as feeling good, because feeling good is, is positive. And prevention focus, as you, you know, have figured out by now, doesn't always feel good, but it feels right. So a prevention focused person will say, uh, you know, that thinking about the things that might go wrong feels right to me. It doesn't feel good. It's not fun, but it feels right. So that's what we're trying to get when we talk to people in their motivational language, that feeling of, yeah, that feels right. Doing my homework to get to go on a school trip, that feels right. Similarly, I know, you know, this is a, we've just gone through a time of the year when a lot of parents were fretting over their, their, their kids applying to college. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and, and invariably the kid thinks that they can apply to like two schools and the parents like, you need a safety net, you know, apply to mm-hmm. 20 schools. And, and, and again, the way a parent would typically go, because they're coming to it from a prevention focus standpoint, right? You don't, you don't want to see them not have a place to go to school the next year. So you say, you know, if you don't apply to a lot of colleges, then you may not get into one and trouble, 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 trouble. And the kids just roll their eyes at you. And if instead you say, you know, if you, if you actually apply to, to 10 schools instead of two, you'll have a lot more choices. And you'll be, uh, you know, you'll be better off because you'll have a lot more opportunities and you can check out each one and see which one fits you best, right? So now you're, again, kind of spinning it in that this is how you can gain by doing X. And, and that's really what we try to, to get people to tune into um, in, with this, this work is this idea that when you're trying to influence someone to want to do something, that if you, you have to match Promotion-focused people want to hear how they can gain. Prevention-focused people want to hear how they can avoid loss. And, and, and that will not only make them, them more likely to agree that this is something they should do, but they'll make them more likely to actually do it. So, Heidi, as you're talking about this, it reminds me of when I was reading your book, Focus, um, mm-hmm. before our last interview, and there was that my, like my dad's voice in the back of my head of, I'm the expert, and you know, <laughs> I'm not going to pander to my children. Right. And and talk in the the manner that they understand or in the manner that somebody else understands. Right. Because then I'm not going to be true to Mm -hmm. myself. And then when we talked last time, I came up, I went, what finally clicked for me was kind of shifting it to if you go to France and you start talking in English (laughs) and you start yelling at them because they don't understand, they're still not going to understand any better. You need to speak in French or get an interpreter. 
Right. And that's really what you're saying with this is that we need Absolutely. to speak in the language that the person on the other end understands. Right, because your goal is communication. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, people say, oh, I, you know, that I'm not being true to myself. Well, well you know, it, you can think about it however you like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you think about it in whatever language you want. But if your goal is trying to get somebody else on board, then you really, then, then it, it's only wise, really, to think about how, how is this, and, and really respectful, actually, to think about it as, you know, from their point of view, you know, from their perspective, how does this sound? And, and what's important to them? And what are they looking for? You know, uh, you know, we talked about this last time when you're pitching something to your manager and you're trying to persuade them. It's the same thing with, with your kids. You know, you, you really want the message to land. You want to be convincing. And if that means talking about it, again, it's not deception because you really mm-hmm. are. It, it's perfectly true that when you apply to 20 colleges, you not only are more likely to avoid having nowhere to go, but you're also more likely to have lots of choices. I mean, so, so really it, it, what you're saying is still as true, but you're, you're describing it in a way that now is going to get their attention. Um, and, and I think it is respectful. I think it's respectful to, 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 to think about their perspective. I think it's not realistic to expect someone who hasn't had an adult's experiences to, to be as, um, as under, to really be as sensitive to the, the what could go wrong aspect as adults are. I mean, we've just had a lot more stuff go wrong. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so we really, we get that and we get how important that is. We also have a lot more responsibilities. So we're used to thinking in those terms. Um, kids are not. And, and especially in this day, I mean, it's probably, you know, it, it may be uh, 200 years ago, kids, you know, you could take, talk to a 12-year-old about their responsibilities, and they had a whole bunch of them. But, <laughs> but in the, you know, in this day and age, the, the kids don't really have that many. And, and, and that's okay. You know, they will. They'll get plenty. You know, we'll, they have a whole lifetime to be an adult. But, but so in the meantime, you have to be aware of that. It's just not motivationally uh, something that makes sense to, again, the average kid. Like mm-hmm. I said, there will be prevention-focused children, just as there are many promotion-focused adults. So, um, so what you really want as a, as a parent to try to tune into is my kid, the kind of kid who's, um, who's creative, who's a risk-taker, who's always sort of overly optimistic about things, um, is or is my kid someone who's careful and organized and you know very upset when they make mistakes um, and tends to be more anxious about things? As that describes your child, then then actually you probably have a prevention focused child. And uh, and and you know one of the things people always ask how do how do we end up one way or the other? Um, the the there's there's really not one answer to that, and there's some evidence that the temperament does have something to do with it. That, that we're kind of you know we aren't born completely blank slates, um, and some kids might be a little bit more sensitive to positives, and some kids a little more sensitive to negatives, and um, and so that is part of it. How how we are parented is also part of it. Um, do you you know do you punish your children when they do something wrong by by uh, by yelling or, or by uh, taking away something that they, they want, or do you, you punish by sort of giving them the cold shoulder and taking away the positive, uh, you know, sort of the love and affection. Um, depending on how you punish them, um, that can shape, or and how you reward them, that can shape their focus to some extent. But like I said, that, so, so, so it's, it's, there's this tendency to be more promotion-focused overall, but you, you always want to make sure and, and really, it's not that hard to do. Kind of tune into your child 
um, whether you're a parent or a teacher working with a child and say, is this a kid who really tends to be a little reckless, a little creative, a little optimistic, prone to really high highs and then sort of sad and dejected when things go wrong? Or is this a kid who's cautious and organized and tends to be quite anxious when things aren't going their way? And, and that'll tell you what you're working with. Heidi, does um, childhood trauma affect the, the focus of the child? Um, we don't know. I mean, the, the short answer is yes. We we would absolutely expect it to. There's not been a lot of research directly looking at promotion and prevention. But, of course, there is really a lot of research um, looking at the experiences of depression and anxiety in, in children who experience traumas. Um, and, again, it depends a little bit on the nature of the trauma. So if, uh, if for example, a child... Um, is experiences a trauma that is um, life-threatening, where they feel in danger, that can lead to lasting anxiety, and we would expect that to be a relatively more prevention-focused child. Um, and again, maybe dangerously so. Any any of these, any promotion and prevention taken too far, um, again, will leave you a little bit unbalanced. You're not going to. Uh, most people need to have a little bit of each in their lives in order to function well. Um, and again, if you have, if the kind of trauma a child experiences is a is a, a like a loss of of love and caring, um, so neglect um, or or a, a death of one's caretakers, one's parents, and then you might expect that to lead to a lasting depression, um, which would be more of a promotion focused kind of, of of child. But a child that's promotion focused, but not able to be optimistic, not able to to function well. Um, so, so yeah, we do see those things as 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 mapping on, and and in adults as well. That that if you are somebody who's prone to bouts of depression, you're probably a promotion focused person who's not really um, who's having some problems um, in your life emotionally and in, in reaching goals. But 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 depression is a promotion focused kind of problem. It's the absence of feeling that joy of advancement and progress. Um, anxiety is a prevention-focused problem. It's feeling that you're constantly in danger of making a mistake and, and everything's going to go wrong. Okay. And then um, something else that you said, and going back to my you know my little story about my dad, mm-hmm. is that, maybe, and maybe this is where parenting has changed, is you know my dad's generation and my grandparents' generation, it was really about control. Do as I say because I know better. Right. And it was mm-hmm. control. And here we're talking not about controlling our kids, but about influencing. And so right. is that why when you want to influence, it's really important to understand who the other person on the other side, essentially, of the table. Absolutely. You know, the, 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 it's a really it is a very important difference. I'm glad you brought this up because, it, it, you know, as a parent, you 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 always hope that that the that the values and the goals that you you know, we. Yes, there are. There's a lot that we can make our kids do. Um, there's not not an infinite amount. Clearly, there's lots of things we can't make them do. But there are plenty of things that we can make them do. But it's, your goal as a parent is always ultimately to have them, uh, you know, internalize those goals and values so that when they're on their own, um, they're going to make choices that are consistent with the values and the goals that you would you would hope them for them to have. So that the ones that are going to lead them to be the happiest and the most successful and the most effective. Um, so that's why I think this, this you know, you, you really can't force 
a, a, a way of thinking on someone. They have to, at some point, embrace it. Um, and, and that's why I think the language of influence is, is really useful here, because in, in many ways, that is what we're doing with our kids. We're trying to influence them. We're trying to, to get them to believe that doing certain things are really what, what's in their best interest. Um, and, and, and so that is exactly why thinking about using the right kind of language is so important because, because that it's much more like what you're saying. We, we find that matching motivational language leads to this experience of feeling, a feeling of, of rightness, right? Oh, that, that feels right to me. And that's exactly the feeling you're looking for as a parent. You know that everything you say isn't going to sound good or sound fun, but you want it to sound right and you want them to experience it as right. Um, and that's and that is something that matching motivational language can can do for you to to kind of convey that feeling of rightness. Now that I, I think uh, you know when I talk about influence and motivating, we talk just because in English we use those words a, a little bit in an overlapping way. Um, but but there really are two parts of the, the puzzle you can think about. The, the the first part is getting your child to agree that something is a good idea, right, to really internalize it. This is the right thing to do. Um, and then the second part is actually getting them to do it. And, <laughs> and you know, we all, we all have, have that dichotomy, too. I mean, there's not a person, oh, well, there are very, very few people who are overweight, who are in, in, in an unhealthy state of overweightness, that don't believe that it would be good if they lost weight. I mean, they, 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 so it's not so much a question of influence, right? They, they're on the same page. They agree it would be good for them to lose weight, but then you have to actually do it, which is why, you know, I mean, that's where the hard part comes in. So, so there's influence. This is a good idea. And then there's motivating, really, to get somebody to actually do the thing that even they themselves agree is a good thing to do. Um, the nice thing about the, the, the using the, the right motivational language and matching it for promotion and prevention is that we find that it does both. So we know that it is that, that what you say is more persuasive, it's more believable, people trust you more when you speak their motivational language. But we also know that people find it more engaging. Um, and, 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 so that, and that engagement translates into being actually more likely to take action. Um, so if you're kind of getting a two-for-one. When you when you when you use the right motivational language, you're you're not only helping them to absorb something that you hope will be a lasting value or lasting goal that they will have, but you're getting them to be much more likely to actually do it. Um, and this is actually good advice not to just use with your kids, but frankly to use with your spouse or 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 anyone in your life. You know that that too often spouses in particular are very likely to. Um, we find actually many many married couples or many many long term couples are. Um, have one partner who's relatively more promotion and one is more prevention. Um, and that's actually a good thing um, because it, it, it turns out that, that couples who are, are um, complementary rather than the same um, uh, end up reporting that they are more satisfied in their marriages. And in a way, it makes sense. It's sort of like talent sharing. You know, there's somebody to do the prevention things and somebody to do the promotion things. But, but it is important. It can also cause problems because obviously you can have lots of fights <laughs> um, stemming from my husband and I certainly do, stemming from sort of one person's tendency to be more conservative and risk averse, and the other person wanting to kind of take risks and and do more adventurous things, um, and and so having the language of promotion and prevention to sort of understand your differences and then be able to speak to each other 
uh, again, it's not manipulation. It's really just trying to say, okay, looking at this from your perspective, what would, why would this be a good idea? And then talking about it in that language um, is really, really helpful. And, and that's something that I know in, in my marriage was very, very helpful when we both sort of realized this was a source of, of, of uh, conflict and being able to sort of say, okay, well, from your perspective, I think this is why this would be a good idea. And it's really great in the sort of a meeting of the minds there. And it's something I think we can achieve with our teenagers too um, and with the people we work with. There is a sort of, okay, I'm taking the time to see this through your eyes. And by the way, you know, with an older child, a teenager, I would even recommend talking to them about this difference. Um, you know that 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 there is that there is a way in which adults see things differently, and they think more in these terms. And you, as a younger person, think a little bit more in these terms, and that's natural and good. And neither of us is wrong. And so this is a way for you to understand where I'm coming from when I talk sometimes, and and a way for me to understand where you're coming from. And and I think that 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 can only can only make things even better because it will give the, your child, too, a tool if they're old enough to kind of grasp these concepts, I think a tool for understanding where you're coming from sometimes as well. So Heidi, what about, what do you, what happens when, you know, you go to ask the question to your kid and their answer, they put the armor up of, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you do then? Um, you know, the, 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 I think there are probably multiple, there are so many ways to tackle this, and a lot of it is going to be idiosyncratic. One of the, you know, between you and your your child, children are not all the same. And one of the frustrating things, you know, I write books that sort of count as being self-help books. And one of the frustrating things I know that people have when they read these books and they say, this is how you do X with your child, and then it doesn't work. <laughs> and you feel like, what is my, am I doing it wrong? You know, and it just turns out that people are complicated and diverse. And and so there probably aren't, there probably isn't one, you know, for any of us, one thing that's going to work with everybody. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, starting by kind of trying to capture their motivation is one place. And then the other thing is, um, you know, regular, if, if you can't get at it at one time, try, try again. And I don't mean like by, you know, shoving yourself in your child's face all the time. But one of the, the most robust findings, and people have heard this, and it comes up, up again and again and again, is that, that like families who eat together, that have a, a lot fewer problems. And there's nothing magical about eating. So if you can't eat together, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> but, but what happens at what happens at the dinner table is something that can happen at, and you can create other times for it, is that people talk. Mm-hmm. And they, they, because of course you do, it's just really boring if you don't talk. <laughs> and you end up, as a parent, knowing more things about your kid's life and your kids know more about your life. And and so it seems to be that that setting aside regular times for communication is uh, is really the key. And there will be plenty of quiet dinners. I mean, there'll be, and it may take a long time for you to get out of your kid this thing that you really want to talk about with them. But the more opportunities you give it, with again, without pressuring it too much, but the more opportunities you give it, the more likely they are to eventually come out with the thing that they're they're themselves trying to figure out a way to talk about. Um, One of the things we know about promotion focus, and and I think you see this with teenagers a lot, is again, this this real reluctance to dwell on what went wrong. It feels wrong to them. It literally feels wrong. Just as as for a prevention-focused person, dwelling on what wrong actually feels right. It feels terrible, but it feels right. It feels like the right thing to do. 
Um, when you're promotion-focused, dwelling on things that went wrong feels wrong. It feels like it's bringing you down, and it feels like it's, it's not productive for you. Um, and so there's this real sense, and again, it's not necessarily conscious, where people kind of want to avoid thinking about these things that, that didn't go so well. And they feel like, if I can just avoid thinking about it, everything will be fine. Now, eventually, that will stop working, because, you know, we're not really very good at that. Human beings are not very good at suppressing things for the long term. So eventually, if you continue to be there for your child and open to conversation, you'll, you'll get the answers. I think you're much more likely to get the answers you're looking for. Um, but again, know that that obstacle is there. For them, it just feels wrong. It, it, it feels like it, their intuition is telling them that it would be better for them to just not talk about it and try to move on. And, and again, our intuition as adults is often the opposite. Well, I've, I've found the, the dining room table is always a good place. So even if we, you know, with sports schedules and stuff, we don't eat together as a family. Yeah. Right. You know, mm-hmm. if I eat earlier with another child, when my other daughter comes home, I'll go and sit at the table and we'll just have conversations. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, whoever's at the table, we just talk. But the other areas are after practice in the car. She's, my teenager seems to want yeah. to talk. And since I know she doesn't listen to my show, I can talk about this. And then <laughs> the other thing that I have gone to do, to, to do is I started wearing makeup because that's an area that she's really interested in. So in the morning, in the, in the mornings getting ready, you know, and I'll talk to her because she watches all those YouTube videos about what's the best of this and that. And so her being able to have her own expertise where I don't know anything about it. And then sometimes I can pop in and ask questions. But if I'm like preparing for an interview and last week I was interviewing Kristen Neff from university of Texas and stuff. Oh, yeah, I love her. And so I, w- I, I was reading this stuff. And so then all of a sudden I looked at my daughter. I was on the couch and I asked her some questions and she's like rolling her eyes like, oh, no, here goes mom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, those are good conversations to have with her because she's like, I don't know. I don't know. Right. It's fine. You know, and so knowing the opportune times of where is where can we be? And I, the bathroom has turned out to be one of those spaces because she is more the expert in that area. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so she's more comfortable, it seems. So I don't know. But it, it... I know that makes that makes a lot of sense. And actually, if you're, you know, Kristen Ness stuff about is, is if you know, is all about self-compassion and and how we should forgive ourselves for the things that go wrong. Again, you can see how that's something that maybe a teenager doesn't want to talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about the things that went wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to think about whether I'm sufficiently self-compassionate because <laughs> that would require me to think about the things that have gone wrong. <laughs> and I don't want to do that, you know. So again, there's this real, you're trying, you as a parent are trying to teach this wonderful thing to your child to not be so hard on themselves and to be more self-loving. And all they hear is, oh, mom wants to talk about my feelings about things that I've screwed up. And I don't want to talk about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, and that is a real obstacle for anybody, whether you're a, a teacher or a parent or a therapist who's trying to work with a, with a child. There will there'll be a sense in which that just feels like a place that if they go there, it's not going to be good for them. And um, and so sometimes we have to just wait until it kind of comes out. Or like you said, know, pay attention to the patterns and know when the times are. My mother used to love to try to talk to me right when I got home from school. And I'm one of these people that has a real, like, circadian rhythm dip at 3 o'clock from, like, 3 to 4. All I want to do is sleep. I just feel tired and grumpy, and I have my whole life. And she would always sit down, like, let me hear all about your day. And it was the last thing I wanted to do was talk. And so it took her a while to figure out that she should just pick a different time of day to try to talk to me. And and so when we pay attention to those patterns in our kids, we're much more likely to. My kids are the same way. There are times that they're chatty. There are times when they are not. 
and and you know rather than try to force it on them just wait wait for that moment in their rhythm when they feel like opening up and that's it's really great that you observe that well, and and that goes back to that idea about influence versus control of, no, this is the time that's appropriate for me to have this conversation with you. So let's have it when they may not be ready. Because the same thing, my kids, even though, you know, you're told be home after school so that way you can know what happened in their day. Right. You, my kids will check in, but they actually like it when I'm busier in the afternoon, like just to say hello and then move on. The times that they, my kids are the most, well, my oldest, the one that she's most chattiest is after practices, after she has come decompressed from her school day, gone off right. and did some physical exercise. And then she gets in the car and she's like that five-year-old kid that I used to have, <laughs> right? Where she just can't stop talking and we're like, whoa, we're just trying to keep up. So right. understanding that. So going to um, the, this idea of influence and motivation, one of the areas, because mm -hmm. I used to teach at community college, and one of the areas in education that's really troubling is, you know, the boys. We're, we're losing the boys. Right. The boys aren't buying in to why it's important to become educated, to get good grades, right? And so mm -hmm. how do we influence that with, with, with the children? How do we talk uh, again, to I think that's a, I think that's a great question, and I think again there there are um, there, this is a, there's of course going to be more than one thing we need to do to to solve this problem. But coming from from my perspective and and what I do, um, I would say one of the big problems we have is again that we tend to talk to people about not the opportunities that a college degree will give them or the great things that will happen if they can just stick it out. Um, you know, in, 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 uh, we, have, we have a problem with, a real problem with, um, with students entering college but not finishing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so a lot of the problem is, you know, that, that trying to get people to, to hang in there. Um, and there's lots of things we can do in terms of support on campus and things like that. But in terms of just the way we talk about it, even again, the message I always hear people saying, you know, if you don't go to college, you won't be able to blah, -de blah, you know, mm -hmm. you won't be able to get a job. No one will hire you. It's all it's always these threats. And you know what? That works on a prevention focused person, which is part of why it works better on women. Mm -hmm. Because women are more prevention focused on average. Um, we're women are already as in, in young adulthood starting to think about duties and responsibilities and obligations and 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 making sure you know that that they're going to be able to take care of themselves and and their kids eventually. Um, so they're already making that shift. Young men. Um, insurance companies call them the young immortals, right? These <laughs> young men in their 20s who think they're going to live forever, they're never going to have any problems, and everything's going to be fine. Um, and, uh, and, and so they're still very much a promotion-focused group. Um, so we need to, to you know, really kind of change the messaging. It needs to be less about scary, scary, scary things that will happen if you don't do X and more about here's all the awesomeness. You know, here's all the great ways that you can advance and be better off. Um, I have uh, a nephew who uh, we we all had, the family had a very hard time convincing that he should go to college. And I think, again, the messaging was really off. Everybody kept thinking, not me, <laughs> but everybody kept saying, you know, if you don't go to school, horrible, horrible, horrible things will happen. And he had a, a couple of really good, thank goodness, experiences visiting some colleges where he saw for the first time what, what what it what it could offer him, you know how it could how it could actually be awesome and amazing to go to college and the ways that he could end up better off than he is now, and that was compelling. 
to him, whereas the, the, the threats and the warnings and the ominous cautionary tales was just not doing anything for him. You know, positive role models who have gone to college and had awesome things happen to them are much more persuasive to a young promotion-focused male than a string of cautionary tales about you don't want to end up like Cousin Bobby, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it, I think, again, the messaging really matters. How we try to talk to them about why this is something that is worth doing really matters. And then, you know, on top of it, like I said, we have to have the support in place and, and then we have to make it affordable and all those other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but really, in terms of just influencing them so that they get to a point where they think this is a good idea, I think the right motivational language can go a long way to making that happen. So when you're, because you, you talked about earlier about we need to get them to, to influence them, to get them to buy into it being a good mm-hmm. idea. And then the next step is the motivation of, okay, now let's go take the action. And so a lot of these boys, they're not even buying in that it's a good idea to get good grades and to go off to college. Exactly. And that really is the first step. You know, there's a lot of kids who are going to college, uh, you know, essentially being bribed into like, try it for a year by their parents and things like that. Try it for a semester. Um, and that's not a horrible idea in the sense that, again, you hope that once they're on campus, they see all of the great things that can can come from it um, and that that then makes it something they themselves want to do. But it, it, I think on college, on college campuses, parents, everybody's sort of involved. If we keep the emphasis on these are all the ways you can benefit rather than just college being another place where these are all the things you have to do. Um, and if you don't do them, then you're going to flunk out of school. You know, that's that's the language we have to get away from because it's just not one that works for them. It doesn't feel right. Um, and we want the college experience to be something that feels right. And so it really has to be, how can I end up? The message always has to be, how can I end up better off if I do X? And if we keep that consistent, we have a much better shot at making them not only um, want to go, but then also while they're there, continue to be motivated to do it. Well, and is there, um, because one of the things that I, I know this with a, a, a good family friend, the father is very, very su- financially successful in his job, makes a tremendous amount of money. You know, they live a very nice lifestyle, right? And mm-hmm. their college student son just doesn't want to work very hard. But part of me wonders is that even though his dad has, you know, all those accolades of success, is tremendously unhappy. Does that so does that where the message of you need to do this so you can get a good paying job, but then the kid sees, well, you have this great paying job, but you're really miserable and stressed and I don't want that. Right. So does I, I, I do see it's like how is that better off? Yeah. You know, how is that better off that and that's all the other thing is it's not it's not better off compared to someone who works a really dangerous and horrible job and gets paid nothing for it. It's always better off compared to where I am now. That's that is so so and then that's another thing where they say, well, you know, obviously this is a good thing for you to do. Well, how does that make me better off than I am right now? That's the that's the question that kid is sort of on some level, consciously or not, asking. So is his father better off than he is right now, living at home mm-hmm. <laughs> with his parents or whatever he's doing and kind of benefiting from that? And if the mm-hmm. answer is no, then that's just not gonna look attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until my nephew saw that that, you know, his relatively cushy life as well, that the college offered him something that was even better than what he had right now, mm. um, that, that he went, oh, yeah, that's, that's actually, that's worth doing. So, so what, what is he missing in his life right now that working hard could, could give for, to him? Um, and that's 
kind of the direction to go in to, mm. to find that. Um, and it's not, you know, it's 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 not something um, being under motivated is 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 pretty common. Um, you know, it's something that a lot of parents are dealing with. And why why doesn't my kids see that this is important? And why don't they see the dangers? Well, they don't not going to see the dangers. They're just not focused that way. Mm-hmm. You have to think about it differently. And and it's okay. How can I make my child see that if he does this, he'll be even better off than he is right now? Um, that's the question to ask, and that's the direction to go in, and to try to find an answer. I think that's a great question to end on. You know, whether it's he or she, but what is our child exactly. missing in their life right now? that working hard can, uh, could give them, right. right? And if we can ask that, then open up whatever the different scenario is and test things out. Like you said, there's not this one easy fix. Exactly. Yeah, be trial and error. Be, be patient with yourself and them. You can take you maybe a little while to find it. Um, but, but, but if you're in, at least the, the, the research gives us a sense of what direction to go in to try to find the answer. Um, and I think that that's, that's a great place to start. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for coming back and having this conversation with me. Thank you. It's always fun to talk to you anytime. Well, thank you. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you've been listening to Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson, and her latest book is Focus, Use Different Ways of Seeing the World to Power, Success, and Influence. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.